The Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for your favorite events. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code PLANET for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in daily fantasy sports with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code PLANET at FanDuel.com to enter a risk-free tournament for up to $10. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI Planet Football Podcast producer Alex Abnos. Alex, welcome back. I believe you're you're in Kansas City. I am. I'm uh, sitting here in uh, in my mom's kitchen, and I'm having some coffee that she made that has something called high-octane brain oil <laughs> in it, uh, so... If I'm especially insightful on this podcast, that's probably why. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, for this year-end podcast, there's, to us, it felt like the most appropriate thing was just kind of go back and forth between our our favorite moments, the, the most memorable moments, uh, just kind of put a, a cap on this year for the world of soccer. Um, it's It's been a, a landmark year in a lot of ways, and, and I don't think there's any other way that we can start this conversation. Uh uh, other than getting into FIFA. I mean, it, it's the story of the year in soccer and in a lot of ways in sports. Um, just the the DOJ's assault on everything that's going on in Zurich and in South America, Central America, the Caribbean, the Cayman Islands, everywhere. Um, Alex, it, it started with uh, an overnight siege in May, right? It, it our, our soccer world changed completely literally overnight um especially if if you're on the eastern coast um it you know now we we see reports of of indictments and and guys being extradited and guys being arrested and it doesn't really have the same shock value but that night was was unbelievable it was watching this all unfold basically over twitter unless you were in switzerland right unless you were sam borden uh it was just sitting at home at midnight i was watching tv or something i got a text from my friend and all it said was go to the front page of the New York Times right now. <laughs> and I certainly wasn't expecting to see anything soccer related. And then I see FIFA uh, ex-co members all arrested in, in Switzerland. And it was shocking. It's the kind of thing that we wish would have happened years earlier, but there's just that pessimistic part of you that says, nope, it'll never happen because they have too much power. And so so to actually see it happening in real time and follow along with it and see them being led out with you know bed sheets, uh <laughs> Uh, covering their faces it was just so surreal and so awesome um and it's it's awesome you know as much as it's weird that news of more arrests is uh is becoming commonplace now and becoming kind of boring almost like it's good that it's boring like that should be really boring news for sure i mean even what this we're we're taping this at the end of 2015 so within the last two weeks sepp blatter and michelle platini were were banned eight years from fifa if like that, that doesn't resonate now as much as it would have seven months ago because it's almost like it's expected. This has been coming and, and the evidence is piling up and, and it's, it's crazy to think that. And, and this initial raid happened right before the FIFA election. That's what I think is, is most people might not remember about all of this. They, they still went ahead with their Congress. Sepp Blatter won, of course, because of course he did, gave this ridiculous speech. Let's go FIFA. We can do this together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like you. I like my job, and I like to be with you. I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect. But we will do a good job together, I'm sure. 
So uh, I thank you so much. I thank you for the trust and confidence. Trust and confidence. Together we go. Let's go, FIFA. Let's go, FIFA. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then four days later, he lays down his mandate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, there was just so many little, it's like any good story, there are so many little kind of micro moments within it that you might forget about uh, thinking about the, the thing as a whole. But yeah, that Sepp Blatter speech after he got reelected, days after everybody got arrested, is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like I was watching that live stream cracking up by myself in my apartment. And what's, what was crazy to me about the whole thing is the degree to which mainstream news picked up on it. Like this was not, you know, it was almost instantly not just a soccer story. It instantly was, you know, national, international news, even among Americans, which like, you know, I feel like if, if in January of this year, if you were to go up to the average American and talk about FIFA corruption, their eyes would glaze over and they'd probably walk away before you're done with your first sentence. But now instantly, it's an interesting story that people are following and that when they hear that you're a soccer person or that you you know, for you and I that you work in covering soccer, you know, they automatically want to ask you like, hey, what's going on with FIFA? You know, that's that's just crazy to me. It just shows, uh, you know, what what being part of the mainstream news cycle can do uh, in terms of just bringing attention to the sport. Now, maybe it's you know not great attention, 100 percent, but at least people <laughs> at least people know about it, I guess, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for sure. And, and look, uh, you know, a lot of people, they hear FIFA and they think of two things, a video game and corruption. Uh, and and it's it's time for for that last element to, to change and be cleaned up. And thanks to Loretta Lynch, the work of the U.S. Department of Justice. Swiss Attorney General and their Departments of Justice, uh, this ongoing investigation uh, continues to unfold. As the year ends, I believe it's 14 of the FIFA Executive Committee members who were on the on that committee in 2010 uh, for the World Cup votes for 2018 and 22 have been implicated in this. That's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> um, so Speaking of Loretta Lynch and, and little micro stories within it that I think are great, in her first, we're taking down FIFA press conference, I'll never forget the good old dorky IRS guy that, that got up and said that they were giving a FIFA a red card and said that this was the <laughs> World Cup of corruption. I'm going to, I hope that there are more of those because I want to hear that guy make more terrible puns. He doubled that down, was, he, the World Cup of fraud, he, he doubled down on it during during the last round of it. That's right, yeah, great. he did. He was like, remember last time when I said <laughs> it was the World Cup of fraud? And we're like, yeah, we totally do remember that. It's that like, was awesome. It still Please is. do more of it. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> oh, man. Um... Michel Platini, of course, he was expected to be uh, the, he was the favorite anyway to replace Sepp Blatter as president uh, after Sepp laid down his mandate in, in such a such a selfless way, really. Just just really thinking of the greater good. Um, so Sepp. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but of course now, as, as things stand, he cannot run. Um, and that's, uh, you know, it's a wide open election now. February 26th is, is when we're going to see the new president um, take take Sepp's place. Um, but, but Platini's involvement in, in soccer in the year ahead goes on, on multiple levels. He obviously, um, you know, one of France's greatest players of all time and, and the president of UEFA. And it's, it was his design to have Euro 2016 expand to 2014. Now he's not going to be a part of it. And Paris, uh, I think, as, as we look back and ahead, is going to be the epicenter for a lot of things in, in world soccer. Um, obviously, looking ahead, you have Euro 2016, which is going to be fantastic. We hope. We hope all the focus stays on the field. 
Uh, looking back, though, Paris, of course, right outside the Stade de France, when where France was playing Germany, uh, was was part of these terrible terrorist attacks where under thirty people ended up being killed. Um, yeah. And and now Alex Paris is 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 huge on on a number of levels. The bombing at the Stade de France was not as bad as it could have been, not anywhere close. Um, you know, that's something that you know was just would have just been an unimaginable tragedy had it uh, had it been worse. Um, not that it wasn't already un- unimaginable on, of a, on a grander scale, um, but it's it's it was really you know uh, shocking to see that, and it, I'm sure it shook a lot of people because you know these these places you know soccer for many people is an escape. It's you know a way it's you know part of the attraction of it as a fan and you know, sports in general, but soccer just because it's so global, I think everybody can can connect with it. You know, no matter what your troubles are. Uh, you can, you know, go to a stadium and watch a game. And the part of the attraction of going is that you're in with all these different people and who knows how many different people and from who knows how many different backgrounds are all there with you. And you're all watching the same game. And you're all, you know, yelling at the same players, hopefully things that are not racist, which we'll get to that in a, in a bit, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you're all, you're all appreciating the same, the same thing happening in front of you. And there's not very many contexts in which you can do that. Um, with that many people. So to have it all of a sudden be part of this extremely terrible, murderous action is, you know, just unimaginable for a lot of people. And is part of what made that such a, such a incredibly sad event. And it's, you know, that's, that's the point of terrorism, right? Is that you, you, you know, you hit people uh, in places like that where they feel safe. Um, But I don't, you know, I can't, I can't recall, at least in the, you know, in the in the Western world, uh, a time where soccer was affected so directly in a, in an action like this. No, and and one of the more striking images from uh, from that day was you know this vine making the rounds uh, of the game at the Stade de France, and you hear the explosions in the background. I mean, it doesn't get more real than that. I mean, you know, a lot of the people in the stadium didn't know what was going on. The the coaches, I guess, knew but didn't tell their players. Um, just to hear the stories of of the French and German national teams afterwards, what what they were going through and and what they had to to endure in the stadium and make sure that they got out safely. In addition to all of the people, um, and then to see. Uh, all of the fans in the concourse of the stadium singing the French national anthem as they walked out. Just so many striking images of, of unity, sadness, togetherness. Uh, it obviously transcends the sport, but it, it involved the sport. And, and it's why it's, it's one of the moments we're talking about now as we wrap up 2015. Um, By the way, like, I, think, I think special mention has to be made to whoever it was uh, that made the decision to keep the fans in the stadium. Uh, while all that was going on, because that is such like that is such a counterintuitive decision that ended up being probably the safest course of action they they could have possibly done. I remember when I like this this happened while I think while we were recording the podcast. Uh, I think in the middle of it, or maybe if it wasn't our podcast, it was another one. But I was down in the studio and I came back up, and I knew that that game was going on. And you know, I come around the corner and I look at the TV and. Usually it's just playing whatever sport uh, is happening live uh, in the middle of the day on a weekday, but instead it was on CNN, and you know the big headline was just explosion at Stade de France. So I look at the big TV in the newsroom, and I say, oh my God, 
what is this? I'm sure they stopped that game. And I get back to my desk, which already had the game on, and the game's still going on. <laughs> and the fans are still there. And I was just like, what, what? Like, there was like, there's a complete difference <laughs> of like situation depending on which TV I'm watching. So I couldn't really figure out what the deal was. And, at, you know, it's the kind of thing where at first you say, what the, what the heck are you doing keeping all these people in the stadium? Like, they need to get out of there. Clearly, that's under attack. But then as the details emerge, they're like, oh, the plan was to have everybody leave in a panic so that you would have more people funneled into one place. Again, whoever, whoever thought to keep the fans in the stadium. Again, counterintuitive decision, but could have saved a whole lot of lives. Yeah, of course. And you know, it seems so long ago now, but, but we'd be remiss if, if we didn't mention the incident that happened on, on a train in Paris uh, during Champions League knockout stage, Chelsea PSG. Uh, just a, an absolutely deplorable moment where where Chelsea fans uh, did not allow black men onto a train um, and started chanting racist things. And uh, uh, it's just one of those things that at at this point, as people, we should not be doing. You would you would think that that would be universally accepted. Right. Uh, sadly, not. Yeah, I mean it's. It's like I was talking about before, like what makes going to a game like that special is that you share a stadium with all kinds of different people and all kinds of different backgrounds. And unfortunately, what that means is that you're also sharing a people sharing a stadium with people that happen to have pretty reprehensible opinions or are capable of reprehensible actions. And I think that was the case with those specific Chelsea fans. This isn't meant to, you know, I I don't for one second think the majority or even close to you know, any any significant percentage of Chelsea fans uh, feel the way that those fans do. And I'm sure that a lot of Chelsea fans were very embarrassed by by the actions that they saw in that video. But it's a rhyme. But it's a reminder that, you know, this kind of sentiment still exists. Um, and it's, you know, a real that's an uncomfortable thing to be reminded of. But it is important. Um, I, and I just think it's uh, I just think it's crazy that, you know, that uh, that and the attacks, you know, these two things that reveal very different uh but important off-field things uh, that both had a connection to soccer, both happened in Paris. Um, it's just a, a, pr- a pretty wild little uh, little thing about 2015 for me that I'll always remember. Yeah, for sure. And and look, fan racism uh, isn't going away. As we start 2016 in the Champions League, Dynamo Kiev will be playing one of its Champions League knockout games at home in front of an empty stadium uh, because of because of fans' racist chants. It's 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 a it's an evil that needs to to go away. But it also unfortunately was was one of the images and one of the moments of 2015 in in soccer. Um, when we come back, we will get onto the field now and and lighten the mood a little bit. That was that was a bit of a of a heavy opening. I hope <laughs> starting right off with it with the with the heavy stuff. I like it. It's all right. Uh, we we want to we want to end all of ha- your years on on a high note. Uh, we're gonna leave. <laughs> we we want to leave like Costanza basically on a high note. So when we come back, uh, we'll transition onto the field uh, with one of the world's preeminent teams. Fantasy football season is winding down, but the NHL and NBA are in full swing. And on FanDuel.com, when you use our code PLANET, you can play a risk-free tournament for up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. And if you lose, FanDuel will refund your account, guaranteed. Thank you, no fantasy NBA or NHL. Come prove it at FanDuel. Building a team is easy and fun, and you just pick your players and stay under the salary cap. 
Entry fees for leagues start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. FanDuel is not just for large tournaments. You can set up a private league and play against your friends anytime, anywhere. To get started, go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and use our code PLANET to sign up now. And here's that great new offer for our listeners. If you enter a league and you don't win, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any tournament you want, up to 10 bucks. You can sign up on FanDuel.com and use our code PLANET, then make a deposit and choose your league. If you don't win, you'll get that money right back in your FanDuel account for more play. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, and use our code PLANET. FanDuel.com, where it can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. All right, let's turn our attention now onto the field to some of the images and the moments that that made us drop our jaws, uh, rewind, watch over and over again, hit reloop on on Vine. Uh, I guess Alex, let's let's start with with one of your striking moments, and, and we'll keep it in Europe first, and then and then we'll move on uh, to the domestic scene and, and things in the U.S. But but what was one of the moments, or one of the goals, or six of the goals, perhaps that that stood out for you? <laughs> Uh, funny. It's almost like, you know, exactly what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah. So, uh, so there's obviously like any year, there are no shortage of amazing goals, especially living in the age of Messi and Ronaldo as we do. And obviously Robert Lewandowski's five goal outburst will be many people's choices, like moment of the year. I'm sure we'll talk about that, uh, in short order. But for me, the number one, most impressive soccer on field soccer thing I've seen this season, and maybe one of the most impressive on-field soccer things I've ever seen was what Barcelona did to Getafe back earlier this year, last season. Uh, They scored six goals. They won this game 6-1. But every single person that scored a goal in this game then followed that goal up with an assist for the next person that scored. I've never seen anything like that happen before. But, okay, so here's how the goals went. I actually wrote this down. And, of course, it's, you know, just making this, this, like, loop of logic so perfectly complete it started off with an unassisted goal so you start so you start with zero so it starts with Messi burying a PK which obviously is unassisted Messi Panenka lifts it over Guaita then he goes on to assist on a Luis Suarez goal ball in after scoring that goal Luis Suarez assists on a Neymar goal Suarez delivers. Suarez. After scoring that goal, Neymar assists on a Xavi goal. Xavi. Oh. Oh. He's done it again. Each one better than the last. After scoring that goal, Xavi assists on a Suarez goal. Back heel Xavi. Oh. Suarez. Barcelona. And then after that, Suarez assists on a Messi goal. To Suarez, now wide for Messi. Chipping it up. Just can't stop scoring. Well, he's stacking cherry upon cherry upon cherry on this game. So Messi starts it unassisted. He ends it. And they score six goals in between them where it's just this perfectly sequential thing. And by the third one through, I'm literally watching this game thinking, okay, Neymar just scored. I wonder if he's going to get an assist next. Because at this point, it, it had happened twice. And then he did. And I was like, oh, Xavi just scored. Wouldn't it be what? Wouldn't it be really, really wild if he got an assist next? And then he did. And then, and then Suarez <laughs> goes. I was like, man, I can't. You know, it would be absolutely impossible if Suarez got an assist after that. 
And then he did. It, it, you know, Lewandowski's uh, five goal outburst, like amazing, really unheard of. You know, any other year, I think for me, it would be undisputed at the top moment. But I don't think I'll ever see anything like that ever again. And it was pretty emblematic of Barcelona as a team, right? I mean, they're Absolutely. they're this collection of stars that, and and they're not the only collection of stars on the planet. Obviously, you've got your Real Madrid's, your Man Cities, and and PSG, and down the line. Um, but so much star power, and yet they all figured it out how to to share and to coexist. And it wasn't always like that. If you look at the last half of 2014, uh, you know, it wasn't always so rosy. But they really turned it around starting in January and then heading towards Champions League. They ended up winning again. They won the treble. They won the league. They won Copa del Rey. Uh, and and if you're picking a, a club team of the year around the world, it's Barcelona. They just, they they put it all together. They've got arguably the three best attacking players on the planet right now. You know, fine Cristiano Ronaldo, but but Messi, Neymar, Suarez, uh, that front line is unstoppable. And, and they coexist and they share and they set each other up and they have such a good understanding of one another. And, and that game right there was was your case in point. Yeah, it was it, like it was unbelievable. Like that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of achievement you do when you're playing. Like if you're really good at FIFA and you're playing on amateur mode or something, that's something you do to just try to you know, like create a challenge for yourself. <laughs> like, OK, now I'm going to, you know, I scored a goal with this person. So now I must assist with that person. Or if like some team is playing some vastly inferior team, that's something like a challenge that their coach will put out to the team. Like, OK, if you score, you must assist next. Otherwise, you know, just dribble out the ball or something. And it was like that, except it was in a, it was in a league game. It was in a competitive game. Like it's, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> Well, that just goes to show you Barcelona's playing FIFA on amateur mode with the rest of the world, <laughs> right. pretty much. It's, it seems like that sometimes. <laughs> uh, two more Barcelona moments uh, that I want to mention, and then I'm getting to my top moment in, in Europe this year, which, which all due respect, is Robert Lewandowski. <laughs> um, but Messi, en route to what will most assuredly be another blonde or uh, for him in January, Two goals uh, for me stood out for him. One against Bayern Munich in the Champions League. These are, you know, the the two best teams on the planet matched up against one another, going for the the world's top Here prize. Here he is again. Here he is again. That's astonishing. Oh. It's absolutely world class. Messi managed to make Jerome Boateng fall like a tree that's being chopped down by Timber Joey, and then he went on to chip Manuel Neuer, the, the world's Prominent goalkeeper uh, in in a phenomenal sequence, and that that put that series to bed. Uh, it's it's a goal that that you can watch over and over and over again. Boateng's a World Cup winning defender. He is when you're talking about some of the world's best defenders, he's on that list. And and Messi made him look like FIFA on amateur mode. Honestly, it was it was it was insane. And that wasn't even Messi's best goal of the year. Uh, you can debate uh, what he did against Athletic Bilbao in the Copa del Rey final picks up the ball on the sideline, basically at midfield. Three defenders converge on him. He's in a a Bermuda's triangle of defenders, except that he slaloms his way through three of them. One more comes over to try and stop him. He cuts back, finishes near post. Unbelievable, and that goal will probably win the Puskas Award as as the best goal of the year. There's not really too many things in soccer that are the equivalent of like a particularly thunderous dunk in basketball, but... That messy goal against Boateng is he basically dunked on him like that's basically what that was, and <laughs> and I guess I guess the athletic Bilbao goal he just he literally dunked on everybody on the team. He has a lot of goals like that, but you know his whole thing is that he makes uh, makes 
players look ridiculous uh, trying to defend him all the time. But the fact that it was Boateng on that one, I remember when that happened, you're just like, oh, no, Jerome, please. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're okay. <laughs> truly, truly phenomenally for, for Messi and for Barcelona. The only way it could have been better for Messi is if Argentina had won Copa America, but they fell. Uh, and penalties to host Chile. I want to finish by getting into Lewandowski. The five goals, it wasn't just five goals in a game. He was on the bench for 45 minutes. He came on as a halftime substitute. Bayern Munich is losing to Wolfsburg 1-0. They need a spark. So Pep Guardiola says, all right, you know what? Maybe maybe he gets us a goal. He scored five goals in nine minutes. 51st minute to the 60th minute, five goals. And the fifth one was the best of them all. It was a ridiculous flying side volley. It It was something that, I've never seen, I don't think we'll ever see it. And and when we again anyway, and and when we, you know, think of moments that that really just made us go, what the hell just happened? Uh it it doesn't get more what the hell just happened than five goals in nine minutes by one player. Lewandowski's been on the field less than six minutes, and he scored his fifth goal of the season for Bayern Munich. I'm surprised he's had three touches already. He's had the golden touch and he's fired it. Lewandowski, Bayern Munich, superstar from the bench. Can't get it in, he has now though. What a hat-trick that is. Dante, wrong side, it's 4-1. It's another one for Lewandowski. It's good, so there'll be no let-up. There's Lewandowski. Oh no, oh my word. That's the best of the bunch. Um, yeah. and, and the degree of difficulty of some of them too. And it started a ridiculous run of form for him. And Bayern Munich, of course, is is plowing ahead. Pep Guardiola announced that he's going to be leaving at the end of the year. So now they've got this target, or at the end of the season, they've got this target now to to win the Champions League, send Pep out a winner. Uh, they're, you know, they're going to win the Bundesliga, right? That that's pretty much the safest bet you can make in sports right now. Um, but Lewandowski, that achievement um, for me is is the single most impressive individual achievement by a player. Uh, on the men's side in one game, and, and we'll, we'll get to the women's side in, in, in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I mentioned the Barcelona thing before, I think, I think an easy way to, to honor both equally is to call one a team achievement and the other an individual achievement. Like, there's no question Lewandowski's is a, is a tremendous thing that, you'll, again, you'll never see. But for me, if I had to choose one, I'd have to go with the Barcelona thing. Like, I'm sorry, that's... That's that's incredible. Like people will I feel like somebody it's more likely that somebody's gonna score five goals in nine minutes again. All right. Well let's like youth sports. We'll give everybody a trophy. Best best right. best team effort goes to Barcelona, best individual effort, Robert Lewandowski. And uh and let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> All right. When we come back, uh we'll turn our attention to to things that happen in North America, the the domestic side of things, uh, to to close out this year in review, year in in moments, if you will, uh on the Planet Football Podcast. MLS might be done for the year, but let's be honest, the offseason is pretty much non-existent and games have already been announced for the start of the 2016 season. The men's national team is back in action in January and the women's national team takes to the field in Olympic qualifying in February. And to find your way into those games, SeatGeek is the best way to find your great deal to those and many more. When you use our code PLANET, you get $20 back via check or PayPal. On SeatGeek, you can also sell your extra tickets to other fans. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you time. They also know the fair market value of every ticket. SeatGeek uses that information to show you the best deals and find the underpriced seats in the venue. 
Also, if you have tickets that you can't use, SeatGeek will help you quickly sell them to another fan. Hate those sneaky fees at the end? SeatGeek has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there and always shows you the full price up front. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 rebate via check or PayPal, download the free SeatGeek app today, enter promo code PLANET in the app, and SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. For those soccer tickets around the corner, the NBA, the NFL, or even the best concerts, use the SeatGeek app and don't forget to enter our code PLANET for $20 back. For interviews with some of the biggest names in sports media, SI's Podcast Network has the podcast for you. The SI Media Podcast with Richard Deitch. To hear it, go on iTunes, Stitcher, or SI.com slash podcasts. All right, welcome back. We are going to wrap things up with some of our favorite moments that happened uh, on this side of the pond. Well, wait, Avi, Avi, before we move on to... Uh yeah for yeah to to domestic uh to domesticness we forgot i think not just one but i think we forgot four really key moments uh in this european season minute 30 minute 33 minute 43 and minute 69 <laughs> classic jose classic awesome. uh, i can't wait till man united hires him when he wins the league with them this year to cap it all off wouldn't that be the most appropriate way to end this premier league season ridiculous <laughs> Now let's go to the domestic now side of things. Sorry, sorry. I just, I just needed, I just needed to get that clip in here somehow. No, no discussion of things that happened uh, around U.S. soccer, American soccer, North American soccer uh, can be complete without the U.S. women. Obviously, they won the World Cup, uh, first time since 1999. The final, well documented. We've talked about it at length on this podcast. Carly Lloyd, three goals in 16 minutes. Uh, in the final, the the last one coming from the center circle. Uh, we want to talk about individual, great individual moments in in world soccer. There's your great individual moment. Uh, Lauren Holiday, who I think a lot of people forget, actually scored the eventual game-winning goal in her last international, or her last uh, competitive international with, with the U.S. Um, four goals in the opening 20 minutes for the U.S. Uh, and that was that. They beat Japan 5-2, to two, lift the trophy, uh, an amazing accomplishment for a team hell-bent on getting back to the top, uh, and they did. That, of course, was met with a remarkable reaction uh, here. There's the rally in los angeles the parade in new york si 25 individual covers which shamelessly you can still purchase uh <laughs> but alex you you were at the parade uh and you you were able to take that in the one in, in the canyon of heroes down in downtown manhattan which is actually like right around the corner from our new office if they could have just held off for like six months we would have been front row center uh yeah, but exactly you, but you were front row center yeah, I, I got to the parade route, I think, a little bit after 7 a.m., uh, which is uh, pretty early, like way, way before the, the route was even fully blocked off yet. But there were still already fans gathering. It was pretty apparent to me from the very beginning that this was going to be a giant thing. And uh, I don't know. I mean, everybody has seen the images from the parade. So, you know, that there were like a whole lot of people there. Uh, I can tell you. I can tell you a lot of you know ways that it was impossible to get around Lower Manhattan uh, that day, just walking along the parade route. I thought for some reason that I would follow the parade into the place where they would actually have the ceremony with the mayor, and I realized real soon that, <laughs> that was just a terrible plan <laughs> because because spoiler alert, move trying to move at the same pace as the parade when you're in the audience is incredibly difficult <laughs> because everybody is in your way. And they're all not paying attention to you. They're paying attention to the people that are in the parade and waving flags and cheering. And that was 
you know, for that to happen to soccer in this country is, is something amazing. And especially for it to happen in that way. Avi, I don't know if you've noticed walking around, but uh, in what is, the, I guess, what's referred to as the Canyon of Heroes, where they do these parades, um, they actually have little uh, plaques, I guess, like little uh, uh, sections of the sidewalk that list uh, the, the names of the people that have done these parades before. And they used to do a whole lot more of them, uh, especially in like the 40s and 50s. And they would do them for just heads of state of pretty much anywhere. Like they have like the president of Mozambique is on there and, uh, you know, all these different people um, that that have a spot, you know, a permanent spot on the sidewalk. Uh, and I eventually was able to, when it, as I was walking along after the parade, I found the spot where the U.S. women's national team was going to go. Because uh, I, I can't remember what the next most recent one was. I think it was the New York Giants uh, Super Bowl team. That never happened. And, okay, sorry. No, no, no. The, I'm uh, saying that Super the, Bowl the, never happened. I, I'm, I know why you're saying <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I do not recall that game. Okay, yeah, I, I, I guess actually football wasn't played that year. So, mm. uh, so anyway, anyway, so the last team was some Super Bowl team uh, was was on the next most recent one, and then there was a blank spot. And you know, it's not exactly like a glamorous block. I think there was a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks on it or something, but it's still you know a very permanent part of history that the U.S. Women's National Team from this year is going to be a part of. That isn't you know is it going to be a distinction not even shared by the '99ers or the '91ers. Uh, so, you know, if you're looking for some sort of a benchmark for why this 2015 championship is different or how it pushes the game forward a little bit more than maybe the 99 one did, or than the 91 one did, you know, there, there it is. Like they have a permanent spot on a New York city sidewalk, uh, which is a hallowed ground, I guess. Uh, but when, (laughs) (laughs) but when it's among all the other people that are on that walk, I think it, uh, it definitely is hallowed ground. Well said, well said, uh, big year coming up ahead for the U S women, of course, uh, a bit of a changing of the guard. A lot of players retiring and the Olympics, should they qualify, which we have to say, of course, uh, will be in Rio and the U S will be going for its fourth straight gold. Um, so we'll see what happens with the U.S. women this summer. Now, now let's go lightning round a little bit. Uh, a lot of memorable things happened, whether it's an MLS, the U.S. men's national team on, on the CONCACAF level. Uh, I want to pick out some of our favorite moments here, some of the ones that, again, made us drop our jaws or, or just were unusual. Um, I guess, why, why don't you lead us off uh, with, with something that stood out for you? Uh, sure. So th- th- this isn't so much a moment. It's just a single game that I'll definitely always remember is uh, the first New York City derby, the first meeting between New York Red Bulls and NYCFC. This is something I ended up covering for SI, and I was really interested to see how it would play out because derbies, by their nature, are historical matches. They, you know, they're rivalries that are not born that are born not just of just proximity, but also you know these teams have usually played each other a whole lot of times. So it was interesting to me that now we're having this match that we're calling a derby, but really the only Thing that made it the derby was proximity like nycfc was basically created out of thin air it had no history in the area outside of the handful of regular season games that it played and the red bulls had been around for a long time but they've always ever played in new jersey so you know i was sort of interested to see what the environment was going to be like and if it would really be you know if the, if the concept if this kind of derby concept would, would really catch on with an mls audience and you know what it totally did that that game was awesome, you know, and it was, and the crowd was really into it. It was a very intense uh, atmosphere and the play on the field reflected it. it. You could tell that this really mattered. 
to the players that they win this game. Um, and Red Bulls won it because they were just a better team this year by far uh, than, than NYCFC. But I think as time goes on, uh, it'll be really interesting to see where this derby goes. And it was a real pleasure to be there for the first edition. Of the yeah, the, the Red Bulls owned owned that rivalry uh, Absolutely. In, in, yeah. in year one. Uh, but but yeah, definitely a good building block uh, and base to go on. Uh, one one moment for me that, that really stood out, and it was a goal that happened so long ago, most of you probably forgot about it, uh, Cameron Porter. Scored this goal in the CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals for the Montreal Impact. Uh, that their run to the final was, was one of the stories in American soccer, North American soccer this year. Uh, and this goal was tremendous. It was beautiful. And it was from this unheralded rookie against the Mexican team in the CONCACAF Champions League, which has been such a hurdle for, for MLS teams in the past. Uh, and it was spectacular. And it sent the impact forward with all of this momentum uh and it was just you know one of those moments again and then and this is what this podcast really is all about of the year that just sticks out to me that you know the the stadium went insane twitter of course went insane mls twitter which is a very very uh very potent twitter uh <laughs> went <laughs> went nuts and uh and all because of this this at the time this no name yeah i i, I remember Exactly. You know, I was in the office when that happened. So it's not like it's especially special that I remember where I was when that goal happened. But I definitely remember watching that goal. And, uh, you know, it was one of the rare times that I'm able to get other people in the office to, to watch soccer while I'm watching soccer. Uh, and they were watching that game and somebody's TV was ahead of mine. So I heard them a split second before Porter spoilers scored. man spoilers well no it was fine it got me to like I wasn't paying like 100% attention to the game because I figured that it was over uh and so I heard like a split second before Cameron Porter scored I heard the scream for the other end of the office just like ah and I looked and then that happened and it was you know it was incredible it's it's one of those moments that uh that yeah you'll you definitely remember at the end of the uh of the year for sure. And Montreal, of course, made the final, lost in the final in heartbreaking fashion and then turned their season uh, around with Didier Drogba showing up, scoring all of the goals uh, and then making a nice playoff run before ultimately losing to Columbus. Uh, let's go to the men's national team and then we can bounce back to, to MLS a little bit more. Um, sure. Really disappointing year on just about every metric for the men's national team. When you look at the goals that they that they had set, if you look at just wins and losses, OK, fine. But but results obviously carry some carry more weight than others. Uh, the friendlies against the Netherlands and Germany. Bobby freaking Wood. Uh, this is a guy, and, and Brian Strauss wrote a story about him uh, recently before the last set of World Cup qualifiers. He was awful with the men's national team. Every chance he, he got, he's on the field, and he just looked out of place, looked just totally out of his depth. He comes on against Germany and the Netherlands. Now, at the time, the Netherlands were not... <laughs> We're not a laughing stock and a doormat and a team that couldn't make it to a 2014 Euro 2016, but one of the the most powerful teams in the world and a team that's coming off two straight top three finishes at the World Cup. Uh, and then against Germany, the reigning world champions and Bobby Wood scoring these ridiculous goals. Uh, and at the time, it made it seem like the U.S. was going to enter the Gold Cup with all of this momentum, win it again, clinch a place in the Confederations Cup and, and everything would be happy. Uh, of course, that's not what played out. 
But if you look at those two moments in a vacuum, Bobby Wood, I mean, two tremendous goals. Yeah, Avi, and the and the thing is, is that people will remember those two games against the Netherlands and Germany, but he played really well in the CONCACAF Cup final as well, I thought. And he had that goal at the end. Like, he scored in that one too. And it was also a good goal. Yeah, it was a, it was a huge goal. We thought it was going to push that game to penalties, no matter if the U.S. deserved it or not. Uh, and then, of course, Paul Aguilar did did what he did uh, with that tremendous volley. And, and then a uh, nice little celebration, too. Oh, yeah. Just fling himself directly into the advertising boards. That was probably my, my favorite celebration of the year. <laughs> because why not? Um, elsewhere for the U.S. men, uh, and, and we'll start with the good before going to the bad. Jordan Morris, uh, this this kid, for me, just his story is is one of the stories of the year for U.S. soccer. Uh, remained at Stanford despite the ability to go pro. Ended up winning the national championship with Stanford, of course. But but long before that, it's his first international start. Jurgen Klinsmann gives it to him against Mexico in the Alamodome, and it's and it's on this cow pasture of a field that looked terrible. Uh, you know, not full strength teams for either side, but still, it's USA Mexico, and he scores. He scores the opening goal. The USA wins two nothing again. Another sign that this was going to be the USA's year, and Mexico <laughs> is on the downswing. Um, but. But again, in a vacuum, just a, a tremendous moment for him and, and kind of laying the groundwork for, for what was to come. Yeah, I mean, and he's also interesting because he brings up this whole debate about college soccer's place in the U.S. Uh, soccer sphere, um, which is a little bit overblown, to be honest, because I think a lot of people forget that Clint Dempsey played three years of college soccer. Uh, so, you know, whether and how significant his going to Stanford is, and continuing to go to Stanford for Jordan Morris can be debated. I honestly don't think it's that significant, but I do think that 2015 was a year that he made it very clear that it's you know it's about to be his time. It's about time for him to go to, to go pro. Certainly, certainly looks that way. Um, yeah. All right, MLS. We you know we could go into the playoffs and we can break down the, just the ridiculous list of things that happened. There there were an absolute ton for me. Uh, Two posts. Yeah, that that's it. Uh, it Two the posts, the Portland Sporting Kansas City penalty shootout uh, just just took the cake. Uh, when eleven rounds, everybody got in. It was decided by goalkeepers, but before that, it was decided by three posts. Really, Kevin Ellis had a chance uh, to to send Portland home, and this was the eventual champion for the league. That basically their run could have ended before it even got started. Uh, and then uh, rookie Saad Abdul Salam has a chance and. put his kick right it it should have gone in it should have gone in about four different times somehow he hits both posts it straddles the line it doesn't go in it doesn't ricochet off anything uh and portland goes goes on to win and then goes on to win mls cup um well what's what's crazy about that too is that like that is the kick that everybody remembers with good reason because how often do you see it any kick even in the run of a game, hit both posts and go out. That just doesn't happen. The seven ten split, yeah. Let, let alone on a PK. But that was not the kick that lost the game. They still went on for another few rounds after that. The kick that lost the game, it all came down to their backup goalkeeper John Kempen needing to make a penalty. Which, like, if you're a, if you're a team in a penalty shootout and your entire season, you know, all the months of work that you've been doing all year comes down to whether or not your backup goalkeeper can make a penalty. <laughs> like, it's awful. I think you just have to accept the result no matter what, because that is such an incredible toss up 
craziest PK shoot I, I've ever seen ever uh, in soccer. Yeah, and and we had Caleb Porter on our podcast uh, a few a few weeks ago, and we asked him about that, and his response was pretty pretty much like, "No, I've never seen anything like that." Now imagine having your like your livelihood tied to it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can't, I can't do that at all. I would rather not, honestly. <laughs> Uh, and and on that note, the the craziest note of all, perhaps uh, in in 2015, at least in North American soccer, I think I think we're gonna call it and and put a cap on on our podcast for this year. Um, it's it's been tremendous to to share some of the reactions to these moments as they happen with you over the course of of the last few months since we relaunched, and and we'll look to do more of that uh, in the year ahead. We'll have Grant Wall and Brian Strauss back in the mix. We'll have a full slate of guests uh, all already and queued up for you. In 2016. Uh, so for Alex Abnos, I am Avi Creditor. Have a very happy and healthy new year. And we'll talk to you next time on the Planet Football Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.